Welcome to The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha Bhushan, and this is your oasis for strengthening your mental and emotional fitness, no matter what life tosses your way. I am so excited you're here. Just like you, I wear many hats. I'm a former dentist turned author and serial entrepreneur, currently a mom of two, and a recovering perfectionist. Every week, we'll navigate brave conversations to support your evolution at every season and stage of your life. Raw and unfiltered, we'll explore all the feels as we unpack life's unpredictable moments, from the playful to the painful, the magical and the messy, and everything in between this epic human experience. You ready? Let's dive in. Hello there, lovely Brave Table fam. How are you doing this time of year? Welcome back for another juicy episode. I'm your host, Dr. Neetha, and today we are diving in with a dear soul sister, Ashley Stahl. I mean, this woman is just wise beyond her years. She's a total wordsmith, and I mean, her life experiences have totally provided her with so many lessons and insights that we're going to dive into today. I mean, Ash, just a little bit about her background, went from counterterrorism at the Pentagon, yes, to career coach, journalist, TEDx talk speaker, and she's actually been given big keynotes around the world. Honestly, her TED talk was one of the most watched of all time. You definitely want to check that out. She's not only the author of the best-selling book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career, and she also has a podcast as well. Now in our chat, we talk about all the things. She cracks her heart open and takes us through her egg freezing journey and offers reflections for anybody considering doing it themselves. I know a lot of you ambitious ladies have thought about this. I know this was a topic of discussion between Ajit and I before we were thinking of having our second child. And I know that for a lot of us, it's become normal discussion these days, especially those who are not ready to have children yet. Yet the idea is like, when will we ever be ready? And, you know, to have kind of that insurance, if you will. And Ashley talks all about that and she gets, you know, super real. But one of the other things you'll get out of this episode is why we get cut off from our intuition and what exercises to help you strengthen your intuition to discover what you actually want and when you know that there is that time for transition and advice for how to slow down so that you can make intentional decisions in life, like maybe freezing your eggs or maybe taking a step back, right? And so, so much more. This woman is such a dear soul sister. She was in Austin earlier this month and we had so much fun just dancing it up. She was my OG dance partner back in Los Angeles. And it was so great. You know, sometimes you have those women who are totally like hype women for you. Well, that's who Ashley Stahl is. And I think you're just going to fall in love with her as well. So without further ado, let's bring Ashley Stahl to the Brave Table. Oh my goodness. Today we have my dear girlfriend, soul sister, powerhouse, Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) You have arrived. I've arrived on this podcast. (laughs) How are you? 
I'm good. I'm in New York. I'm traveling. I'm going to the Hoffman Institute next week to go cry about all my traumas that I don't know I have. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. I feel like that's been calling me for like years. What was the impetus for Hoffman? Well, do you remember a year ago, I was thinking about breaking up with my partner and Mm -hmm. I just thought at that time, like, oh, I should go to this and now, but they're sold out for a year pretty much. So if oh you, you are thinking about it, scratch that itch on their website. Oh my goodness. Because it's impossible to get on in. So you have to just pre-book. And so I booked it a year ago. Wow. And now I'm in such a different place. I'm in such a happier place. And so I'm actually going in with a very interesting mindset. I don't know how anybody else feels about doing growth without an agenda. Mm. I feel like sometimes with growth, we're like, we need to work on these three things about ourselves. But for me, I'm like, I'm awesome. So let's see what comes up. Ooh, okay. You're at a place of like full acceptance. Yeah, I feel like I am, but there's always like new level, new devil. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like I think that I'm comfortable with where I'm at and I like where I'm at, but then you lift the surface and there's a whole another growth opportunity. So always, I mean, so is it mostly around career stuff, family stuff, relationship stuff? Well, so the Hoffman Institute, I didn't realize they're like one of the OGs in personal growth. They've been around for so long. And their thing is about negative love patterns. And their argument, if I summarize it properly, is that we started to emulate the things our parents did that we didn't like in order to belong and be a part of the unit. And so we accepted and performed the patterns in our parents that the ways that they got love that weren't necessarily effective, it became our ways of getting love. So for example, my dad, who's really Mm. fun and lovely, sometimes has an outburst and that's how he gets attention for love. I learned when Uh, I was a little kid to have outbursts. Those don't really happen anymore. It's been so many years that I've been working on myself, but they help you see these negative patterns you've done to belong. And the paperwork alone, you really can't leave unscathed. There's like 17 pages of questions. Oh my goodness. And yeah, it's a lot of information. There's your parents. So they ask about your mom, your dad, or whoever your caretakers were. And -hmm. then they have this term for parents that aren't really parents, but that helped raise you. Mm -hmm. So in your case, in your home, it would be nannies. Those would be Mm -hmm. your kids' surrogate parents. Yep. Is what they would call it. So Mm. I filled out about 17 pages of checklists and patterns and they like relationship patterns, addiction patterns, work patterns, self-focused narcissist patterns, all these patterns. And I checked the box for my parents, my surrogate parents and myself. And they really have a way of helping you neutralize where you have work to do. So I don't know if I'm saying I'm looking forward to it because I don't like crying and feeling sad and feeling all my pain, but looking forward to the week after it. (laughs) Amazing. Wow. I totally remember like during the pandemic, the Hoffman was obviously closed, but they had this like two day, or it was like two day drop-ins that they were kind of advertising just for like online. So it was like every single weekend online. And I totally grabbed it because I'm like, I totally need some love myself. Yeah. Like yeah. some some growth for myself. Cause I remember this was at a time where we were just like serving, 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 like every week, getting the community together, getting everybody together. And it was just mentally taxing and it was a yeah. lot of energy to hold. 
And I remember they did send that questionnaire out, but it wasn't nearly as like 17 pages. And I'm like, wow, okay, if this is what we're doing for just the online version, and it was just like a retreat online, and there was probably a lot more people than what you're going to experience. We had maybe, I want to say a hundred But it was a really nice drop in and it was fully a great reset for my nervous system at the time. And I was like, wow, if I can only do this for like seven days, because how long is this thing? Uh, Yeah, it's like five or six days, no cell phone. No cell phone. Oh, girl, you should hear my intake call. I got on the phone with the lady who's running the thing and I just asked specifically, when do I give up my phone? When do I get it back? Because I was just thinking to myself, like, I need to let the people in my life know and double confirm when I'll be in touch. And it was so funny. She's like, do you have a deep relationship with your phone? And I was like, oh no, I'm already exposed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, okay. So that kind of segues me to what I kind of want to get into for you, because did that bring up anxiety for like you and your parents, because I remember yeah. there's that TED talk of you yeah. talking about this whole, and for, for people who don't know, can you just elaborate on yeah. that journey? Yeah. Well, I used to work in counterterrorism. So essentially my graduate program training and my on-the-job training in national security was around lying and recognizing lies. Mm. And what's so interesting about that is that what I learned watching people and even myself was that Sometimes you get so used to lying to yourself that you really believe it. Mm-hmm. And I eventually transitioned this skill set into noticing incongruence into self-discovery and helping people work with themselves and who they actually are. And I grew up as a millennial during that era of follow your passion. And what I learned is that being passionate about something, you know, or being a happy consumer of something, meaning uh, consuming politics or fashion, or in my case, cupcakes, doesn't make (laughs) you an effective producer of the said thing, right? So because I love, you know, cupcakes doesn't mean I should bake them. I mean, maybe I just need to eat them. Not all the time. (laughs) Right. I shouldn't eat them all the time either because that brings us into discipline and how discipline is the key to freedom, right? Because if Mm. I eat too many cupcakes, I'm going to be a prisoner to my own body. Mm. Um, So I think this idea of lying, I was trained in the FBI in Los Angeles and some other locations in Indiana. And I just learned a lot about what it looks like when somebody is speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And what I learned is that a lot of the times we really believe our own lies. And there's so many different ways that we lie. There's just telling someone we're fine when we're not, telling someone we're good when we're not, white lies, exaggerating. There's so many little tiny ways that we lie on a day-to-day basis. I believe the average person lies like, you know, tens of times per day. I've read the data wow. without even wow. realizing it. Yeah. Cause how many times are we like, how are you good? Uh, I'm actually not gonna have a stomach ache. You know what I mean? It's right. just so second nature. So for me, mm-hmm. working in counterterrorism really taught me that. And, you know, I think that's what happens is you start to forget who you are when you've been lying enough. And I think, In a lot of ways, we lie in our career because we see a lot of survival in it. There's so much tied up. There's our worthiness, our self-esteem, our income, which ties to our survival in society. Mm -hmm. And all of these things obviously are an illusion, but it's easy to believe that they really matter at a level that they don't completely matter. They they count amongst many other things. So Mm -hmm. I started a business a decade ago in the work of 
self-discovery and job hunting because I'm really good at helping people create opportunities for themselves. That turned into online courses and my book, U-Turn, and my podcast, the U-Turn right. podcast. So that's, right. that's me. I, uh, working in national security, I worked on Afghanistan, which my program mm. was geared towards making Afghanistan not do what it's doing right now. So there's that, but right. learned and a how, lot. I mean, I just kind of want to like back you up for a second because yeah. you're fully trained and like counterterrorism and you're doing all these things, but you're kind of noticing the parts of you that you love about being, you know, in DC at the Pentagon, doing all of the things. And then you go ahead and you make another U-turn for yourself. What was kind of the thread that began that shift and that that change, knowing that that wasn't really for you? Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, I think there were moments where there were whispers, right? Like I was a graduate student at a really good program to study war. And I remember sitting around and having this little whisper in my head, this wise whisper saying, like, you're not obsessed with this. And the people around me were. And it was very evident that I had pursued an interest, just like a lot of people do, and misunderstood it as a core part of me. Mm-hmm. We have many interests. We have a rainbow of interests. And I think a common mistake that gets made if you believe in mistakes, which to me, sometimes I don't really believe in mistakes. I just think it's all learning. It's all experimenting. But mm-hmm. we ignore these whispers that pop in. And It's interesting because there's a few different levels, I think, as Osho says, different levels of mind-body science. There's the instinct, which is highly intelligent. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, how your body knows to breathe without you thinking about it, without you intellectualizing it. Your cells regenerate, your blood pumps, your heart beats. These things happen without the intellectual capacity. It just does itself. Then there's intellect, which I think our society runs very heavily on, right? Like we live for intellect. We intellectualize everything. And even if you look at the workforce, it's all about how much experience do you have? Where are your qualifications from versus who are you? Some Mm. people come into the world with a genetic favoring for being really good with people. They have life experiences that make them exceptional with people. And that is going to profit a business more than anyone's degree will. And we've just grown up in a matrix where there is so much intellectual prioritization that we've completely drowned out the third force, I think, of human science, which is intuition. Mm. And, you know, to me, that's what I looked at working in national security. And intuition, I think, is about knowing what you know without really knowing why you know it. And the reason that we are cut off from that is because either we're conditioned to unknow what we know, like, no, what you know is wrong and trust this. There's just noise we're surrounded by noise and that's what caretakers can be sometimes. Sometimes our parents or our attachment figures can be very much so guides and supports in our experience here. Other times they accidentally or on purpose might silence our intuition and tell us not to trust it. And so it takes a lot of personal work. Yeah. To like, remember what is our intuition? What is it saying? So When I was in grad school, my intuition was screaming at me and I didn't want to hear it because it was inconvenient. And what Mm. I would learn later is that, you know, if you don't rip that Band-Aid now, you're going to have to rip it later. So 
I'm really a big fan, as I say in my book, of gripping it and ripping it. Like mm-hmm. cry this year and instead of next year. Because if you're going to have to cry about it, let's get the tears out now so that yep. you can get onto yep. the life you're meant for later. And that's why I called the book U-Turn, Y-O-U-Turn versus just a U-Turn in traffic where you go the way you came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's coming home to yourself because often the place we come from isn't actually who we are anyway. Oh, it's so true. And I mean, your the stories and the storytelling in your book was just fascinating because not only did you provide so many tools for people to kind of go through their journey of an internal self-knowing, you have so many tools to kind of help navigate that, but you did such a powerful job of like, I felt like I was in a, like watching a board movie, <laughs> just like oh, yeah. envisioning you. Well, you have such a great way with words, but I, and I'm not biased because we're friends. I also yeah. really mean that. And I think that yeah you know, being able to capture the essence of really the highlight points of your career in your 20s where you have, you know, everything going for you. And then all of a sudden, whispers, as you're saying, start to peek in multiple times. But what you did realize about yourself was you loved connecting with people. You love making people feel really seen and heard. And you did this with some of the biggest power players while you were in DC. So take us through the understanding of those gifts that we all have. And many times, like you said, we don't trust our own intuition Mm -hmm. because it's been buried. So how can someone reignite that or even find that for themselves? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think that there's so much there. Uh, The first piece is just to notice when your piece is disturbed. Um, you know, when we say something, our body responds. So, you know, I talk about in my Ted talk, how, you know, your gut is called the second brain for a reason. You know, there's 200 million neurons, if not more in there. So that's the size of a cat or dog's brain. And I have a German shepherd and as Joe Rogan says, they're kind of like computers with teeth. They're very smart. Mm -hmm. And so I think about him when I think about my second brain a lot, I'm like, I can't believe my gut has as much intelligence as he has. Uh, There's something too when your stomach sinks, there's something too, when you feel a nudge towards, you know, or a breadcrumb or pull towards someone or something. And it's really a life decision to decide to live your life intuitively, to decide to make more decisions through that lens. And I live through how things feel most of the time. And of course I incorporate my mind. I'm not just like, oh, YOLO. Like (laughs) I'm definitely like YOLO, but be practical friends. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) feel how you feel, follow it, but ask a couple questions along the way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my work has been processing the pains that have kept me from my soul, that have kept me from my intuitive awareness And I think a lot of people have gone through different things in life and it happens at a young age. I know, you know, in psychology, we learn that most of our beliefs about the world are set by age seven to 12, you know, closer to seven. By the time I was seven, my dad had to close his business and we had to leave our home. So what I learned about success and money was that it comes and goes and it's really scary At the time, my parents had a good marriage. They fought when things were challenging with money. So I learned that money like ruins love. You know, there's so many things that I learned. And I think it's important to take stock of the conversations that you had growing up or the conversations you were surrounded by growing up because 
Some of those conversations are going to be hugely insightful. Others are just going to be noise that keeps you from your intuition. I have done extraordinary work in noticing when something feels off. And in those moments, if you could at least pause. So if you say something out loud and you're with a friend, hey, hold on, let me think about what I just said. Something doesn't feel right about it. And asking yourself, what thoughts are going through my mind right now? What am I believing about myself, about this person, about the world, about what I said that doesn't or does feel true? You know, a lot of the times, if you want to move quicker, you have to slow down or else we have this perception of moving really fast when we're just running and making decisions without actually tuning into them. And then we have to clean up a mess. And so we think we're going faster, but when you really calculate the mess cleaning and the restarting, you're actually going slower Mm. than if you really just thought about your choices, slow down, tune into your thoughts and started making choices from that level of intuitive connection. Oh, so many gems right there. So many gems. I feel like there's that book. I think it's in order to speed up, you have to slow down, slow down to the speed of life. And Mm. I can't recall the actual, the name of that book, but it's so resonant to the concepts that you're sharing because so much we have around us and everything is like trying to grab our attention. And of course we want to, like you were sharing, we want to belong. And so even in the impetus of how we grew up in our family systems and our family dynamics with our parents and our caretakers, all we're trying to do is belong. So we do take up their beliefs and the way they process things because we just want to be loved. And so I can't even imagine if you're moving to a different town or just trying to belong in your friend circle, you may not even trust your intuition of when things aren't even feeling right. Or when you know you want to leave a job or a career or something that you seemingly are doing from the outside that's getting a lot of accolades and a lot of recognition and maybe some success. But internally, you're like, oh, that doesn't not even fit what I believe in now. You make a really good point around friendships. I think um, also in dating, I think it's, we all kind of learn who we need to be as kids to receive love. And it's not on purpose. Obviously, our parents aren't saying like, be an achiever so I can love you. But that can be often the message is we are calibrating with people around us at all times, noticing how they love us and what we need to do to be loved. And obviously the ideal situation is that who you are naturally, whatever that means, your freest will of you Mm. matches how someone wants to love you. But what usually will happen is we're calibrating with the people around us and we learn what gets us love. And I think how that shows up in friendships is that we can, you know, perform or in relationships romantically. Like I have a really close friend who's a celebrity on TikTok these days. Mm -hmm. And I was just talking to him about dating and I was telling him, look, like on TikTok, you're very you, but you're like the highest volume up on Mm -hmm. you. Like you're, you're hamming it up and that is who you are, but you don't want to bring that onto your dates because there are so many facets of you and you don't want to be hamming it up for people and entertaining them and performing for their love, because you can't keep that up. That's not who you actually are when you're not performing, you're being you and there's a whole nother you there. So I think it's also important to say, like, who am I being with people and who do I like who I am with and why? Mm -hmm. Like when I think about my best friend, Nicole Napovar, she's a therapist and it's like, I'm the most myself with her. My -hmm. nervous system is really at ground zero. I'm not performing anything. I'm not being anyone. 
And to choose connections like that usually, you know, involves saying no to other ones. It doesn't have to be so extreme, but we live in a world of opportunities right now, especially with people taking so much online. And sometimes opportunities can be such a high form of distraction. We can get distracted by opportunities versus served by them. And so for me with friends, I've been so specific and that's why I'm lucky to have friends like you, Nita, because it's like, I'm very clear on who I'm not performing with and who I'm being myself with so that I can keep shining and I can help other people shine too. Oh, that's such a great reminder. Who are you when your nervous system is at a ground zero? And who who are you with? And who are you with? And who actually makes you feel safe and seen and fully accepted where you don't have to even try We all have those friends who were like, okay, you know, that brings out the silly and the funny and the goofy. And then we also have those friends who bring out the dramatics where you probably need to, you know, hold them a little bit more than you'd like. Maybe it's making a list and even thinking back and recalling. That's such a good frame of reference, love. And I feel like this is a good way to kind of segment into or kind of segue into what I wanted to ask you next, because you've been on this journey and I feel like we started this conversation on, you know, a year ago you were asking about leaving your relationship. So how does this kind of season of life that you're at, how does it relate to love relationships and dating? Yeah, you know, I've thought a lot about this because I feel very much like my love life has been such an adventure and I've really enjoyed it. I haven't held it too heavily, but I've been in serious commitments and partnerships where it wasn't working for one reason or another. And I'm so grateful for the courageousness that comes to listening to your intuition, listening to that wisdom. And I've been in many bridal parties where the person will come to me before they walk down the aisle and they will say, I'm making a mistake. And I'll say, you don't have to do it. And they'll do it anyway. And so it kind of brings up this idea of moving forward versus moving backward, whatever that means to you. And I think sometimes on the goal line of life, it looks like we're moving forward when we make these choices, when kind of like, you know, moving too fast, you have to clean up a mess. It's really, you're moving backwards if you're not making the right choices for you. So For me, I've constantly been committed to growing. I've constantly been committed to myself. I've really enjoyed life. I'm probably one of the happiest people I know. Like it's so rare for me to feel sadness because when I do, I let it be there. I process it. I sit with it. And I think in my love life, I've really held for what I want. And I feel myself the closest that I've ever been to having that. It's been really beautiful to let myself have that. And I froze my eggs recently so that I wouldn't feel any biological pressure. Oh my goodness. That was a real doozy. Can we just get into that? Because I feel like in this stage of life that we are, right? You've reached several pinnacles of success in various ways. You launched your book a year ago, which was incredible. And it is phenomenal in really understanding your own U-turn back to yourself. So I love that. 
Yet now, you know, we have this opportunity to freeze our eggs and actually have the freedom. And like you're saying, the weight of not thinking that every relationship needs to lead in a certain direction because of a certain time clock. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, freezing my eggs, I did a highlight on Instagram. So anyone who's genuinely thinking about it or wants to know about it, I'm at Ashley Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, it's really comprehensive. I mean, side note, I'm not a doctor, so definitely take what I say lightly, but you can see the journey there and make a decision for yourself, perhaps, on if it resonates for you to do it. But injecting yourself with hormones, getting acne, being bloated, and being in a new relationship, this guy that I'm seeing, I mean, what a saint, like literally like took all the videos you'll see on Instagram are taken by a guy I've been dating for two months. Like, oh my gosh. Wait, so did you, how was that conversation? Did you tell this person that you were, you know, getting this whole thing done? that's the thing. (laughs) There's so much shame around it, right? Like women don't even want to talk about their eggs after age 30. It's so not the look. Right. Nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. Like early into dating him, like I was just like, yeah, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs. I'm going to the doctor. And then when we were actually in it, it was happening, you know, and he was in town and I'm like, okay, so this is my hormone injections. And then I just came undone and was like, I don't even care. I'm going to talk about my period and my eggs all day long at this point. Cause (laughs) if you freeze your eggs, all you're going to think about for three weeks is your fucking eggs, which is so (laughs) weird. But yeah, I mean, a lot of women talk about it as an emotional experience. A lot of women that I know have talked about like it being very much a symbol for them not being where they want to be. But my belief about life is that all these timelines are made up and yes, biology is real. And yes, optimal science with our body and harmonious pieces of our life puzzle can be easier when we choose to have a kid at a younger age, perhaps on a biological level. But I do feel like for me, there wasn't any of that drama or sadness around egg freezing. I didn't have that energy towards it at all. I really Mm -hmm. treated it like routine blood work, like, oh, I got to get this done. And I didn't really relate. And and that's the thing with life, right? Like how you relate to the issue is the issue. Mm -hmm. And so I- What do you mean by that? Can you- Yeah, like how you you relate to a problem in your life, that's the real problem, right? Like- I related to my egg freezing, like it was just something I was looking forward to getting done versus this like emotional, emoting, leaky thing. And I don't say that to judge the people who go through something with it because I very much get the realness of that. But for me personally, that just wasn't the relationship I was choosing with it. And I get that sometimes you don't choose it, you just feel how you feel. But yeah, for me, it was really interesting. I went in I got some blood work. So anyone who's thinking about freezing their eggs, I would recommend at least see what your AMH levels are, which those of you who don't even know what that means, I don't even know what that stands for, but it's a number that lets the doctor know where you're at with your fertility. I think that's empowering. You know, like- Because they do say, I mean, I wanted to just kind of stand by you for a second. They do say that if you're after 40, that they don't recommend you freezing your eggs. Yeah. Because it's not as viable. And so your sweet spot is literally under Before 35. Mm -hmm. Before Mm -hmm. 35 is the sweet spot. Okay. Yeah. Under 40 is like the necessary spot. Before 35 is the sweet spot. Obviously, the younger, the better. But, you know, I think one of the most empowering things I thought about for women in general was, or also women in partnership who want to have kids, there's a couple of things. Number one, 
checking your fertility levels. Like what is your AMH? Go to your fertility doctor. If you don't have one, get a referral and at least give yourself that gift of awareness. So like just knowing where you're at. Are you on AMH levels? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get your blood test done. Another thing is a genetic test. So actually 23andMe, if you check the health option, gave me the same results as my genetic test that the fancy fertility people did. Oh, wow. So most people have three or four recessive genes that impact their outcome of their offspring. And when coupled with another person, if that other person has the same recessive flaw, it can be a really high risk situation and you want to be educated on it. Obviously, being you know not a doctor, I really don't know much about how that works. What I do understand is you can get a test to figure out what your genetic defects are and you can have your partner do the same. And then the third thing I learned through a lot of friends, just witnessing them go through IVF and through conversations with my doctor is also around just fertility in general as an issue. Mm-hmm. Half the time, it's not the woman, it's the man who has something going on. Mm-hmm. And so I think we live in a culture where you think fertility and you think the woman, if she can't have a baby, yeah. but it takes two to tango. Fertility is really an equation of two people. Maybe one person has weaker fertility and one person has stronger fertility and together they're very fertile. So it just mm-hmm. depends. But those are a few points that I think are not being talked about that I found really valuable for me to know. Mm. After getting my blood work, we set a date and usually it's your first day of your period. You pay for the egg freezing. It's usually six to 10K just to freeze your eggs and then you know two to 6K for medication. So it's like it can go anywhere from 10 to 20K. It's expensive. Wow. You know, it, How did you pick your doctor? Yeah, I just took a referral. And that was one of the things was one of our friends in LA was like, this is the best doctor did up, but the person wasn't, office wasn't answering the phone. Mm -hmm. And now when I think about how unacceptable that is for a fertility office not to answer the phone, here's why. When you are going through the egg freezing process, you have to call them and go to the office every other day. So you call them when you get your period, you have to be able to get a hold of them within 24 hours because that's when you start the process. That's when you go to the office. They take blood work every other day from there. Wow. And to have a fertility doctor that wasn't picking up the phone for me to at least schedule my first appointment, and I tried three times, oh my red gosh. flag. Yeah. Yeah. So read reviews, ask around. People have a lot of communication around like, you know, there's how good is the doctor as far as how on it are they with the process? How many eggs do they get out of you? How many are viable? Um, there's also how good is the doctor that you can't find out until later of how many of those eggs take if you end up unfreezing them and using them. Mm-hmm. So doctors have reputations, but I think it's all kind of a shit show shot in the dark and you really just have to do the best you can. My biggest message though to women around this is, and again, I'm no expert, but just having gone through it is like, don't let the block of like, who do you go to stop you from getting the information? Go to any fertility doctor to at least get your AMH levels and, you know, your blood test. And a lot of them offer a free consult first without Mm -hmm. you. And part of that consult is your blood work. I believe they need to get that to give you information on whether, you know, they can move forward. It's the right process for you. Yeah. Exactly. So as somebody who's not an expert in it, it was definitely an intense experience for two weeks. It's definitely not nothing. I think women think of egg freezing like it's like a quick stop at Starbucks and it's not. It's from the day, you know, you go a month before the period cycle that you want to freeze. And and then you're, you know, the day you get your period, you call them, you come in, you get your blood done and they let you know what night to start doing hormone injections Ideally, you've already gone to a pharmacy and spent a ton of money on these hormone injections and learn from your doctor and an appointment how to inject them. 
And then every other day, you're scheduled to go back over to your doctor for new blood work and an ultrasound for them to look at your ovaries, look at your follicles, which are sacks of water holding your eggs and assess how the medication is working. And if you need to increase it or decrease it. So you do that for like five to 10 days. Mm -hmm. And based on how that's going, they decide which day they're going to retrieve the eggs from you. And when they do that, some of the eggs are not going to be viable. So I'm very much a normal 34 year old woman. They were expecting around 15 eggs. I got 13. All of them were viable. That's super rare. So they were surprised that all of them were useful and mature enough to be used. So these are all things to know. Apparently the magic number is like 20 plus eggs to have one kid at my age. You want to have at least 20 as like a slam dunk. So I'm probably going to do it again. And, you know, it's interesting because you get bloated and hormonal and all these weird things from it for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, You can't have caffeine. You can't exercise. It's a weird time. It seems so tactile. How is the emotional processing, the mental processing, the spiritual elements, did any of that, you know, come at you as you're kind of doing this entire process and what came up? You know, my best friend was doing it at the same time as me and she had all of that and I didn't. And I was like, what am I like this like fertility hard ass? Like why do I, but it just wasn't where my emotional deposits were. Like I very much have a belief that I'm going to conceive naturally and have a really happy family. So for me, I think because of that belief, I was like, oh, this is just an insurance policy for me. Mm, um, I love that but, you just reframed it that way. Just yeah. an insurance policy. Yeah. Mm. And you know, I've heard from countless women now when I posted that highlight on my Instagram who were like, wow, I had no idea what you just showed on here is what it looks like. And I had women who did IVF who explained to me that this is the first half. The first half is doing the egg retrieval, just like you're about to freeze your eggs, but instead they retrieve the eggs and then they, you know, create embryos, which is putting a sperm with the egg. And then, then there's viable embryos and then they implant the embryo and And then that's IVF. So it's like, it was very educational for me to see what we go through. But on a spiritual level, what was interesting was, I don't understand much about ovulation, but ideally the day you ovulate in your cycle is the day that they retrieve your eggs. They're basically injecting hormones every other day, doing the blood work and the ultrasound to see how it's going. And you're harvesting eggs. They're forcing your follicles, all these eggs to grow. So you're like the spring chicken of fertility (laughs) about to like give out these eggs. What was so interesting for me was looking on the ultrasound and seeing like 13 dots. And they were like, this is your right ovary. This is your left ovary. Oh, wow. Your right ovary has eight eggs and your left one has three. And my friend who was freezing her eggs, she only had two eggs and when you look at how many could be viable, maybe none of them would be by the time she retrieves. There's also, they could see 10 on the ultrasound and you can retrieve 20. Like they'll find more on the oh. day of your retrieval. So there's just so much uncertainty and money that goes into it that I was very much in the doing and I didn't have an emotional aftermath. I don't enjoy injecting myself with hormones and it wasn't that painful. Most people ask about the needles. Mm-hmm. I don't have a needle thing. The needles are thin and short. So it wasn't a big deal for me. I think what was spiritually interesting was realizing if I ever use these eggs that I've been shedding eggs my whole life, right? Like as women, we all are. And these are the 13 that will maybe be my family. 
And the odds of these 13 eggs being pulled out of me for this use, I found really interesting and thought, wow, these are like possible humans right here. So it gave me a lot of respect for the human body and reverence for what my body does. It made me think a lot about my diet and how I take care of everything going on in there because there's nothing quite like a little ultrasound, you know, showing you your body to remind you we are what we eat and food is medicine. So, so such a powerful way to have us fully connect back to our source and our source of everything. Now, kind of segueing from this, what advice do you have for women who are thinking perhaps they are in fear that like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, my time's running out, my time's running out. And, or they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I will take that chance. Maybe I am going to be good and I'll be like 44 and get pregnant naturally. What is your advice now that you've actually gone through this entire process? There's two pieces of advice. The first one is don't put your health decisions in anyone's hands, but yours, like get information and make a decision. I went and saw a doctor when I was 28 and I was like, I want to freeze my eggs. And he was like, what? Come to me when you're like 33 and single. And here I am at 34, I did it, but now I have to do a second round because I wasn't pleased with the amount of eggs that I retrieved. And I wish that I just did it when I was 28 and got it done. And the younger the eggs, the better. So first things first is like, don't let a doctor tell you what to do. Take in your information, make your decision. The second piece is don't decide what to do without information. A lot of women are going to say, oh, I'm too old, it's too late, and they'll chalk it up. Are you making that decision from having had a blood test? Are you making that decision from having had an ultrasound? Like, where is that decision coming from? What information can you collect to actually officially say that it's quote unquote too late? You know, and what alternative paths can you choose? Like one thing I learned freezing my eggs is that if you have a partner and you want to freeze your eggs because you're not ready to have a family, it's better to turn them into embryos before you freeze them because they have, they're more viable versus me unfreezing my eggs, having a partner, putting his sperm in my eggs and trying to create embryos. They're not as high quality after they're unfrozen, even though they still are quality. So it's like really knowing your options. Also, it was interesting to learn that when it comes to freezing embryos, you can see their gender. So you get to pick what kind of gender you have. I believe you can do some genetic tests on your embryos and ensure that you have a healthier baby potentially. So there's so much there. But one piece of advice that I heard from someone is around if you should even have children. She said, if you don't feel like you must, don't. And I don't know if that rings true for anyone. I don't even know if that rings true for me, but I think about it all the time. Either you're called for it or you're not. And if there's any inkling in you that you think maybe I'll want to, looking into freezing your eggs is really great. Just make the phone call, get the blood test and take it from there. At least be informed. Mm, I love that. I think that, yes, information is totally, it's power and it's knowledge. And from there, that's when you can make the decisions. I remember when Ajit and I, we were kind of talking about having our second and he wasn't really fully ready. I don't think you even know the story. He wasn't fully ready. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just get the info on what it would be to either freeze my eggs because I'm a couple years older than him. and 
we were just in the spot of like launching so many things, businesses. And like, it was such a busy time for him. And I knew that I'm like, well, I will be 40 in a few years. So I'm like, I want to have the information. And I literally dragged him to the appointment and he was not at all, you know, didn't want to be there. He's like, cause I think it's a very different conversation for guys, for the partner, because either they're mentally and emotionally and spiritually ready. And in my opinion, maybe they never are really fully, fully ready because that's just how males work. But I'm so glad that we went to the meeting with the doctor because she gave us so much information, a lot of the whole, you know, the embryo making it, maybe not. And that kind of freaked Ajit out he was like, oh, wow, that can be potentially our child. And we get to play, you know, God in a way and and choose the sex. And so that's kind of when he's like, okay, let me look at my calendar in the year. And legit, this was a conversation. And we literally had a planet or like when we were, you know, going to try, it wasn't super, you know, sexy or anything like that. These are the hard conversations that I think that everyone should actually have if you're literally thinking of starting a family. And many times it's a sensitive topic because there's so much that comes up on not just your side, but on the other side, on your partner's side. hundred percent. It's so much. I love that you asked me about this because I know how many people don't know about it. And I hope they watch my little Instagram highlight because that shit was a whole thing to do. And it feels really informative. And huge. Yeah. I hope the journey helps somebody with theirs. I just want to say thank you, love. I was like, I knew I wanted to bring this up, but I'm like, okay. So thank you for going all in and sharing that. All right. Now for our igniting round. Yeah. Ignite. Let's go. All right. Let's go. Okay. You can take as long as you want to answer. Short as you want. Just a couple of questions here. What does it mean to be brave? Hmm. I think to be brave is to be courageous. I don't, you know, to do what you want to do, even if you're afraid. Mm. Yes. Yes. And a magical moment that sucked. It could be recent, could be. A magical moment that sucked, meaning like something that really sucked, but then it became really great. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What is that? I was seeing someone for a couple months and it was going so well and I was so happy with him and found out he had an addiction that I was completely not aware of. And I was devastated and I ended things and ended up finding, I think possibly the right person for me, but we'll see. So I think it's just like, you know, life always shows you loss, but like Larissa Estes writes in women who runs with wolves, it's, we're always in that cycle of life, death, life. So mm-hmm. whenever you're having any sort of death in your life or loss, you're just around the corner from new. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Okay. And finally, what is one word that describes the season of your life? Expansive. You know, I'm in a time right now where I'm putting a lot out there and I'm letting myself have bigger impact. And I say that very intentionally, like letting myself have bigger impact because sometimes it can be intimidating to allow yourself to be who you can be. Mm. I feel that so much, love. And oh my goodness. So to get more on Ash, to work with Ash, to learn more about her. Where can we learn about U-Turn? And obviously we're going to connect you with everyone on IG. Love that. I'm on the U-Turn podcast all the time. It's Y-O-U-Turn, two words. 
And then my book's the same thing, U-Turn, and it's Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. It's the perfect book for you if you don't really know what you want to do next in your career and you're asking yourself some big questions or you feel stuck. And um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Amazing. All right, Ash, this was so awesome. So many gems. Until next time on The Brave Table. Oh my gosh, wasn't that amazing? Okay, for more Ashley everything, go ahead and check her out at ashleystahl.com. That is A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L. And you can find her on IG sharing all of the things Ashley Stahl, A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L. Now, her TEDx talk is linked here about her story about being held hostage. I mean, it is so chilling and I will definitely link it in the show notes because you just have to, I mean, if you're listening to this while driving, you probably just want to Google Ashley Stahl TEDx talk and you will definitely run into it. It has now, I mean, over millions of views. You definitely want to grab a copy of her book, U-Turn. It is so amazing, especially if you want to gift it to somebody that is going through a career transition, wants to take a U-Turn in their life wants either slow down or maybe even pick up the speed of their life at this point. But I think it's just one of those books where she's such an avid, she's an amazing storyteller and you'll love a lot of the stories that she tells about her life literally being in counterterrorism at the Pentagon and then her transition from that and what she learned. And she has a whole way of figuring out what career types are for you. And we do talk about the Hoffman Institute here. So for those of you who have never done Hoffman or are curious about like a deep dive into personal growth that lasts over seven days, I know Ashley shared with you how, you know, she's planning on going through that. And I definitely took a two day when we were, you know, in COVID and I thought it was so magical. And I've known many, many, many friends who've done Hoffman. So I've linked Hoffman as well in the show notes. Now, if you have a friend that is going through that really needs this sort of medicine, maybe a coworker, a colleague, a brother, a sister, a loved one, go ahead and share this episode with them. And we always love, love, love your reviews. Keep them coming. You know, it gets into the hands of more and more people and we get to build and grow our community, the Brave Table. Wow, you guys, thank you so much for making this such a dream come true. And thank you, thank you for leaving your reviews. Your five-star reviews mean so, so much. If you haven't already and you were feeling inclined after this episode, I would so love to hear from you. Go ahead and leave your five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. And when you do, just send me a note at support at globalgrit.co. Take a screenshot and we'll send you our seven-day emotional mastery course. Thank you so much, you guys. Love you so much. Have an amazing week, an amazing day, amazing evening, and don't forget to be just a little bit more brave.